believe it. Thank you for the for, for the work you've done in us, and it all again, it's all because of Christ. Lord, we ask for your help as we continue to walk out that salvation you provided for us. And as we take time to consider your word, we know your word is one of the most important things you give us to teach us and to train us and to help us. So, Lord, as we take time to consider the scriptures, we ask that you might grant us understanding and application in our own lives. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, today we are actually concluding our study through the book of Acts. It's a study we began, I was looking back, January of 2021. Um, I noticed Matthew put up there the number. He said this is sermon number 68. So uh, actually I actually had 69, but I'm, imagine, I'm assuming Matthew's right. Um, the study begins at least early in the beginning in Acts chapter 1, uh, where Jesus gives the commission and the promise to the disciples when he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. So the book of Acts then is a testimony to how the Lord kept that promise and all the people that he used in the process. On your sermon outline, J.E. Alexander gives this summary, uh, summary of the book of Acts. He said, Acts is a history of the planting and extension of the church among the Jews and Gentiles by the institution of great radiating centers at important points throughout the empire, beginning at Jerusalem and ending at Rome. The first half of Acts primarily focuses on the way the Lord used Peter in that work. The second half of Acts primarily focuses on Paul. So Acts 28 ends by talking about some things that took place with Paul when he did arrive in Rome. Peter's ministry was focused on the Jewish people, although God did use him to transition to a very purposeful outreach of the Gentiles as well. Paul's ministry also had a significant focus on the Jews. As you know, in every city that he visited, he would always start at the Jewish synagogue, but invariably, they would reject what he was teaching about Christ, and then he would spend most of his time among the Gentiles. You know that Paul took three different missionary journeys in various parts of the Roman Empire, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He started churches everywhere he went. At the end of his third journey, he returned to Jerusalem. And while there, worshiping in the temple, Jews from Asia saw him and incited a riot against him with the intention of killing him. He was accused of teaching against the Jewish people, of teaching against the temple, and also teaching against the law and the prophets. Well, then in chapter 22 to 26, Paul had five separate opportunities to defend himself. When possible in those defenses, he would always speak of the need to believe on Jesus Christ as, as Lord and Savior. He spoke of the fact that he was still very much a Jewish man. 
and he insisted he was in the temple for worship, and he spoke often of the fact that he fully embraced and believed the law and the prophets of the Hebrew Scriptures. It was clear to the Roman civil magistrates who were involved that Paul was not guilty of any crime, but he was kept in prison really as a favor to the Jewish leaders, and he was finally forced to appeal to Caesar because he was being treated unjustly. So his journey to Rome included being caught in a serious storm known as a Northeaster and then being shipwrecked on the island of Malta. After wintering in Malta, they were able to continue the journey. They disembarked at uh, Butioli, a city in Italy, and then walked the Appian Way until they arrived in Rome. Well, as J. Alexander points out, this work of preaching the gospel and planting and extending the church began in Jerusalem. And then in conjunction with Jesus' promise in Acts 1.8, the book appropriately ends with the apostle Paul in Rome, the most important city in the world at that time. So what we're going to see in Acts 28.16-31 is that even though Paul was a Roman prisoner, he was still used by the Lord to speak of Christ, to proclaim the kingdom of God in a very active way. So the first thing we see is this. While Paul was a captive in Rome, the Lord used him to bring about great progress of the gospel among the Roman soldiers. Among the soldiers. Acts 28.16 says this. When we arrived, of course the we includes Luke here. When we arrived, uh, when we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. So it's interesting to note that Paul was allowed to stay by himself. So in other words, he was not required to be imprisoned with other prisoners being held in Rome. Well, why did that happen? Well, there's a couple possible explanations for that. One is that uh, when Governor Festus sent instructions concerning Paul, he may have pointed out that Paul was not guilty of any serious crime. Actually, he wasn't guilty of any crime, so that he really was not a dangerous person. It could also be connected to testimony from Julius, the Roman centurion who was in charge of seeing that Paul made it from Caesarea to Rome. And from the beginning, we saw that Julius gave Paul special freedoms. He listened when Paul shared counsel. It's very possible that Judas was in the audience when Paul gave his last defense, which was before King Agrippa, Festus, and other dignitaries, both civil and military. If so, he could have seen and heard for himself that Paul was not guilty of any crime. He would also have heard the gospel. Though we don't see any indication that Julius believed in Christ, Paul obviously made a positive impression on him. And because Paul was by himself, guarded by only one prisoner, he had opportunities day after day to share Christ with whoever his guard was for the day. And we know that Paul wrote also several of his letters while he was a, a, a captive, while he was a prisoner in Rome. One of those letters was to the Philippian church. And in Philippians 1, he wrote about how the Lord was using his situation there in Rome. So Philippians 1, 12 to 14, Paul says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. 
and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Interesting, you would think that Paul's imprisonment would slow the progress of the gospel. Well, that wasn't true. Paul says God used his imprisonment for the greater progress of the gospel. That's encouraging to see. I mean, it's so easy to think that oppression, persecution, cultural opposition against the church, against the Christian faith would slow down God's work, but it doesn't. He uses even the most difficult of circumstances to his glory. Paul says that the whole Praetorian Guard had become well acquainted with the gospel. Well, how did that happen? Well, as we see in Acts 28, 16, Paul was guarded by a single soldier. Sure, he was chained to him. Well, that soldier would have to be relieved at various times, probably two or three times a day. There would be someone else who would come in to take the place of whoever was there before. So every time Paul was chained to a new soldier, he took the opportunity to speak to him of Christ. He had a captive audience, so to speak. And since everything Paul did, he says here in Philippians, since everything Paul did, he did as one who was in Christ, that means his relationship with Christ affected everything he did and every place he was. So it's clear Christ was going to come out as he was, as he was with and chained to these various Roman soldiers. So he ended up having a significant gospel ministry among them, a ministry that he never would have had were it not for the fact that he had been held and was being held as a prisoner unjustly. Paul also mentioned in Philippians 1-2 that fellow believers there were being encouraged because of what they were seeing God do through Paul while he was in prison. So no matter how difficult things may be, God is always at work in and through his church. The next thing we see in Acts 28 is this, our second main point. While Paul was captive in Rome, the Lord enabled him to speak of the hope of Israel to his fellow Jews. Verses 17 to 22 says this. After three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews, and when they came together, he began to say to them, Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. They said to him, We have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor from any of the brethren have come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for concerning this sect, it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. So within three days after arriving in Rome, Paul was able to get word to uh, various Jewish leaders in, in, uh, in Rome and vicinity. Now, as Paul said in Romans 1, when he's talking about the gospel, he spoke of the gospel as being to the Jew first and also to the Greek. As we said in his three missionary journeys, he followed that strategy. He would always start in the Jewish synagogue, and then he would then go to the Gentiles after he was forced to leave the synagogue. He's following the same order in his ministry here in Rome. He tells the Jews a little bit about why he was there in Rome as a prisoner. 
he reiterates that he had done nothing against the people or against the customs of the Jewish fathers. He also says that the Roman authorities even admitted that they had no grounds for putting him to death, but he appealed to Caesar because of pressure from the Jews. Well, Paul wants to speak to them about why he was there. And of course, more importantly, he wants to speak to them about Christ. And so one of the key things he says to them is in verse 20. He says, For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, for I am wearing this chain. Apparently he held up his hand probably with the chain on it. I'm wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. So we see in this verse that the reason Paul was in chains was because he spoke openly of the Messiah, openly of the Messiah that the Jewish people had been waiting for. So Paul points out to the Jews the chain that he's wearing that bound him to the Roman soldier who was guarding him. And then he points out the reason he was wearing that chain was for the sake of the hope of Israel. So Paul very wisely just brings to the forefront what the key issue is. He has not broken any law. Instead, he has held firmly to the, to the belief that he and all Jews had of a promised Messiah. The hope of Israel is the promise of the Messiah. That's not a, this isn't a new idea for Paul to, to, to speak in this way. He said similar things when he spoke with the Sanhedrin in Acts 23, and then when he spoke before Governor Felix in Acts 24, and then when he spoke before King Agrippa in Acts 26. The Messiah was the only and is the only solid hope that anyone, Jew or Gentile, has to be forgiven of sin. It's the only hope to be saved from eternal condemnation. It's the only hope for eternal salvation. Paul was convinced that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And that is what he was proclaiming every chance that he got. The Jewish leaders strongly disagreed with Paul on this. They simply would not believe, and that's why Paul was in chains. Another thing we see about Paul's interaction with the Jews is this. The Jewish people generally considered Christianity to be a heretical belief system. A heretical belief system. The Jews tell Paul that they have not received any word from those in Jerusalem about what was going on with Paul. Uh, they had not received a, a bad report about him, which is kind of hard to believe, but at least that's what they said. But they apparently, uh, and, and so they apparently were not aware that he was being sent to Rome to stand before Caesar. But they tell Paul they would like to hear from him. They want to know about his views concerning this sect of Christianity. And they give the impression that they know very little about the Christian faith, but what they do know is that people commonly speak against it in all places. Well, the fact that they call it a sect means they consider it to be a heresy. They consider it to be false teaching. So in their opinion, it is not of God. It is a man-made religion. It is not consistent with what the scriptures teach. But the truth is the very opposite of that. The Christian faith is definitely of God. From start to finish, everything in between, it is all of God. It is the Christian faith that gives clarity on who the one true God is. He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Just glorious truth about who God is. And this revelation about who God is, is why He is so worthy of our worship. It's most definitely not a man-made religion. A man-made religion could never even fathom or imagine a triune God 
three gods, one God. A man-made religion would not emphasize the absolute sinful depravity that every human being is born with. A man-made religion would not speak of God the Son, taking on human flesh and suffering on the cross as a substitute for sinners. A man-made religion would not emphasize the resurrection. A man-made religion would not offer full salvation by faith alone in the Savior. And it's also completely consistent with what the Scriptures teach. There is no variation in the Christian faith with what the Word of God says. In fact, it is the Word of God that defines the Christian faith. Well, that leads us really to the next main point in Paul's interaction with his Jewish leaders, and that's this. Paul sought to persuade the Jews of the truth of the Christian gospel. He sought to persuade them. Look at verse 23 and 24. When they had set a date for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. So a time was set for the leaders to, among the Jews to come and meet with Paul. Apparently quite a few uh, came. And Paul began to testify to what he believed, to what the Scriptures taught. We're told in verse 23, he was explaining these things, but doing it for the purpose of persuading them to the truth concerning Jesus. So the idea of persuading, he's not just, he's not just being content with trying to prove that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus was the Christ, but he's calling them to put their faith in him and actively serve him. So he's looking to persuade them to believe. A couple of things we can see in these two verses that characterize the things that Paul said as he sought to explain truth and persuade them to believe, and that's this. First, he makes it clear that the truth of the Christian gospel concerns Jesus who was spoken of in the law and the prophets of the Hebrew Scriptures. Luke tells us here in verse 23 that Paul was trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Everything Paul was teaching concerning the way, concerning the Christian faith, was fully consistent with the Scriptures. What he taught them from the law of Moses would especially relate to the sacrificial system. The laws of sacrificial offerings pointed out that the sins of man can only be paid for by a blood sacrifice. The priest stood daily at the temple offering animal sacrifices day after day, multiplied thousands of animals, and blood spilt for the sins of the people. But the blood of animals could never atone for the sins of human beings. But they did point to the fact that the Messiah would be one who would have to suffer and die and shed his blood for the sins of the people. Generally speaking, the Jews did not believe that the promised Messiah would be a suffering Messiah. But what the Mosaic law required is exactly what happened with Jesus. His suffering, his death was typified, symbolized, foreshadowed, through the laws and practices of the sacrificial system, which was the law of Moses. And it was even more specific when it comes to the words of the prophets. Moses himself, for example, was a prophet. 
He prophesied that the Messiah would be a prophet like himself, which meant the Messiah would be a person, and more specifically, a Jewish person. The prophet Nathan's words to David said that the Messiah would be a descendant of David. Therefore, he would be a king with an eternal throne. The prophet Isaiah made it very clear that the Messiah would, in fact, be a suffering servant of God. And the descriptions of suffering that he gave were very pointed and turned out to be detailed descriptions of what happened in the suffering and death of Jesus Christ. And then David and Isaiah both prophesied that the Messiah would be raised from the dead. Isaiah, for example, in Isaiah 53, he said that after the, he said that after the Messiah was rendered as a guilt offering, now to be rendered as a guilt offering means offered up, uh, he would be killed, offered up as a guilt offering, then he would see his offspring, which were going to be the people who would believe. Well, people who are dead don't see their offspring unless they're raised from the dead. So in Paul's attempt to persuade the Jewish leaders, he spoke of how the law and the prophets of the inspired Hebrew scriptures pointed specifically to Jesus as the Christ. Secondly, Paul said that the truth of the Christian gospel is the kingdom of God in Christ. It's the kingdom of God in Christ. Verse 23 tells us that Paul solemnly testified about the kingdom of God. I think when we see that Paul was expounding the scriptures about the kingdom of God, that he's speaking even more precisely, I think, of the kingdom of the Messiah. The word for Messiah or Christ is anointed one. And that tells us that Christ was anointed to be prophet, priest, and king. Those were the Old Testament offices that people were anointed for. And Christ is the perfect fulfillment of each one of those offices. Well, as we noted earlier, it was prophesied that the Messiah would be a king in the line of David. Kings have kingdoms that they rule over and shepherd, hopefully, in godly ways. But in order to be a citizen in the kingdom of Christ, we have to have faith in our king. We submit our lives to him. We submit our lives to what his word says. But to submit to Christ as king is also to submit to Christ as Savior. He is the Savior King. So a very so the unique King. He's a Savior King. And therefore, since He's the Savior King, He does always rule over and shepherd those in His kingdom in perfectly wise and godly ways. Well, Jesus, the crucified and risen Christ, therefore, is also the reigning Christ, the King. Both the Old and New Testament scriptures speak often of Christ ruling from the right hand of the Father. So when Christ was resurrected and then ascended to the right hand of the Father, the Messianic kingdom was established. And it's our Savior King then that we trust in and serve. So Paul was seeking to persuade these Jewish leaders to trust and serve Jesus as the Christ, to serve him as the Savior King. Well, verse 24 to 27 tells us what happened. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to, our, to your father, saying, Go to this people and say, 
You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. And with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. So what we see here is that some Jews believe the gospel, others would not believe. Therefore, Paul solemnly rebuked them for their suicidal insistence on rejecting the truth. Their suicidal insistence on rejecting the truth. The good news is that verse 24 says that there were some who were, pers- who were persuaded by the things that Paul shared. So that means the Holy Spirit took the truth that they heard, convinced them that those things were true. They saw clearly that even though they were very religious people, they knew they were sinful people. And they saw that Jesus was, in fact, the promised Messiah. He was the hope of Israel, and he was their hope. So they obviously received Jesus Christ as their Savior and King. There were some who believed, but others did not. There apparently was quite an intense discussion, as there, all, as there always was when, Jesus, when Paul brought these things up among the Jewish people. The meeting broke up. For those who would not believe, Paul used a quote from Isaiah 6 to rebuke them. So the words in Isaiah 28, verses 26 and 27, are the words that the Lord used that when he spoke to Isaiah after calling Isaiah to go for him, and preach to his fellow Israelites. So God was called Isaiah to be a faith to be faithful as a prophet, but he was also telling him, the people that you're going to are not going to listen. So be faithful, but they won't listen. Well, Paul repeats this to these unbelieving Jews here in Rome and says it applies to them as well. He says, I mean, very specifically, he says, the Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah, saying, go to this people and say, you're going to keep on hearing, but you won't understand. You're going to keep on seeing, but you won't perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. So they have heard the truth. I mean, all the ones who, heard, who were there and heard Paul speak, they all heard the truth from Paul. They've heard the truth. Many of them had seen the truth. They would probably, you know, and some, some of them would, may have seen Jesus Christ or would have seen miracles especially that would have especially uh, taken place through some of his apostles. But even though they surely heard and some may have actually seen, they do not understand or perceive what the truth is all about. Because it says their hearts are dull. One version I saw said their hearts were callous. They don't truly hear with their ears. And they have chosen, therefore, not to see. And because of that, they do not understand. Because if they did return to the Lord with all their heart, like they should, then it says God would heal them. God would bring salvation to them. J. Alexander, who I quoted earlier, he, he said, This is a judicial word from God. In other words, they're getting exactly what they deserve. That's what Paul said. You've heard. You've had every opportunity. You're getting what you deserve. He also calls it, as I, the word I used there, and I got it from him, 
He says this is a suicidal action on their part. Because they are ensuring eternal judgment for themselves. They are rejecting the salvation that God has provided for them through the Messiah that he promised that he would send to them. The only possible means for salvation for anyone. And they're rejecting it. He says it's suicidal. The choice they made. Willfully choosing not to see and hear the truth of the gospel results in a suicidal insistence on rejecting the truth. One of the things that I know we've talked about before in the past at other times is that the Bible has a number of things to say about the need for, uh, for teachers, for ministers, preachers to make sure that they're being faithful to the scripture as they teach and so forth. But what's interesting is it has even more to say on how we hear. There's really more scriptures about how to hear than there is on how to preach. Uh, because hearing is so vitally important. There's actually a booklet in our foyer that talks about the idea of, of, of needing to hear. And so that's what's being pointed out here. They would not hear. They would not hear and truly listen and understand. So hearing is so important. So as a prisoner of the Lord, the Lord then enabled Paul to bear witness to the Roman soldiers, to Jewish leaders, and finally we see here that while Paul was a captive in Rome, the Lord enabled him to openly speak to Gentiles of the kingdom of God and the hope that is given in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we'll read 28 to 31. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. When he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness and unhindered. So as Paul had done at other times, he tells these Jews he's going to the Gentiles. He says that's where his attention is going to be focused. The salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and he says the Lord has given him confidence that they will listen. And of course, by God's grace, the gospel has spread to Gentile nations all over the world since this time. So many have listened over the centuries. We're told that Paul was able to stay two full years in rented quarters. He welcomed all who came to see him, and when they came, he preached to them the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom that is centered around the Lord Jesus Christ. So just as he preached to the Jews, he spoke of Jesus as the crucified, risen, and reigning Savior King. He's the Messiah who is the only hope, not only of Israel, but also of the Gentiles. And God was gracious to allow him to speak of the gospel with all openness, not being hindered in any way. So there were no limits on his preaching put on him by the Roman government, except that he had to stay in that house, chained to a soldier who got to hear every sermon. People sometimes really see this ending of Acts as being kind of an odd ending. Um, Luke doesn't tell us what happened to Paul. Um, it is generally believed that this was Paul's first Roman imprisonment, that after these two years that are mentioned here, that he was released. And at that time, Paul continued then to engage in more missionary efforts, uh, possibly 
to Spain. Uh, he actually had expressed a desire to go uh, minister in Spain. That's in Romans 15. You can read that where he, that was something he wanted to do. And then the idea was that he would have been arrested a second time uh, around 67 A.D. He wrote 2 Timothy as his last letter, and then he was executed under Nero. Let me read what he said uh, about this in 2 Timothy. So obviously, this is his last letter. He says this. He says, I'm ready. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. We don't know a lot of those things that I mentioned as far as, uh, as, far as chain of events after this for absolute certainty, but they seem like a pretty good possibility, I think. Now, it's important to note here, Luke makes no attempt to tell us the next things that happened to Paul. That's because giving a full biography of Paul was not his purpose in writing the book of Acts. His purpose is what we saw in that Alexander quote there at the beginning. It's a history of the planting and extension of the church among the Jews and the Gentiles. It speaks of how that began in Jerusalem and takes us all the way to the capital city of Rome, of the Roman Empire. It also takes us back to Jesus' words in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Well, the book of Acts documents how the Lord used Peter, Paul, and others to do that. Of course, we all recognize also that showing the gospel spreading all the way to Rome is a start toward the remotest part of the earth, but there's more to go from there. Luke leaves things kind of hanging to let us see that the work of proclaiming the kingdom of Christ is still ongoing. It's not finished quote by David Peterson on your uh, outline. I think he's, this is a, a very good point. He says, in the narrative of Acts, Peter, Paul, Stephen, Philip, Barnabas, Silas, Mark, and others have their own unique function in salvation history, but in certain ways they also function as models of faithful discipleship for others. By implication, the conclusion of Acts challenges readers to consider how they themselves will continue the story of the gospel's progress. So the Lord continued the work of the gospel after Peter. Paul and all the other disciples and, uh, disciples and apostles specifically were dead and gone. There are so many people that the Lord has used over the centuries and nations all over the world to see that the message of Christ's kingdom is proclaimed and that it's received and also that it's lived out. And as Peterson points out, the people we see highlighted in Acts, and you could add to that list of people that were there, the people that we see highlighted in Acts serve as models of faithful discipleship for us. Every single Christian has a part in the story of the gospel's progress. And that includes us as sons or daughters, mothers, fathers, aunts, uncles, grandparents, 
students, neighbors, employees, employers, retirees. We all have the commission to make disciples of all the nations. We are called to be faithful in the roles and the responsibilities the Lord has given us, even when they change with the changing seasons of our life. <clears throat> Southern Baptist started a program, an emphasis of years ago, entitled, Who's Your One? It can be a helpful reminder to us. The idea that they, came, uh, that they present is <clears throat> to consider someone in your circle of life that is not a Christian, someone you can pray for on a regular basis, uh, look for opportunities to build a relationship, possibly share the gospel. Uh, that might be a helpful idea to consider. But one way or another, every Christian, every single Christian, has the calling before God to pick up where Paul left off and to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ because we too are citizens of that gospel kingdom. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the things that you have taught us and shown us through this study of the book of Acts. I thank you for your, your work in the world a work that we see just kind of, we just were able to see just spread in a very methodical kind of way throughout the Roman Empire, beginning in Jerusalem, going all the way to, to Rome. But Lord, it was also a way that was just fraught with all kinds of difficulties and trials and pain and suffering. But at the same time, the gospel prevailed. Churches were started. People believed. Churches began to grow begin to influence others. We see that happening there. And Lord, we look at church history and we know that it continued to happen. The very fact we know that just because we're here, we're Christians, someone talked with us, someone was an example to us, we didn't start the whole thing. We are all so dependent on other people's witness and other people's examples in our lives. Thank you for those people that you have used to help us. And Lord, I know that you've used us to help others. And we ask you would continue to help us to be your servants, to be your disciples as we reach out to others. Lord, we just ask for your help. We need your help. We all know that. 